I'm Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns. And I'm Rebecca Hackmeyer, and I use she, her pronouns. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Rad, Rad Child, Child Podcast. Podcast. So uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of Way to Go and Room to Grow. This week, uh, we are talking a little bit about our favorite books about Judaism, and we actually have a very special guest who I'm going to invite to introduce themselves. Um, so if you, because uh, I'm sure you, you already know enough about me, Rebecca, <laughs> probably too much. Um, so uh, if uh, you could just do your name, your pronouns, where you're from, uh, and your relationship with kids and kid lit. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. I am Heidi Rabinowitz, and I am a fellow podcaster. I podcast at The Book of Life. It's a podcast about Jewish kidlet, mostly, sometimes adult uh, materials as well, sometimes music or film, but mostly Jewish children's books. Um, I'm a librarian at a synagogue at Congregation B'nai Israel in Boca Raton, Florida, um, and I work with the children. I'm a, the school librarian for the preschool and the religious school there. And um, I'm also very involved with the Association of Jewish Libraries. So I'm kind of like all Jewish kid lit all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm sorry, I forgot to say my pronouns are she and her. Amazing. Oh, and just for, for you to know, because our listeners already know, but I, I use he or they. Um, and Rebecca, and I use she and her as well. For this, for the sake of conversation. <laughs> uh, all right, so I guess I will get started. Um, I actually have a couple of books today, which I'm always excited when I ha I, I almost have like too many books because um, that means that there's a lot of options. Uh, we've just covered certain topics where we're like, there was like one book and the rest of them I half like. Um, so I'm excited that there are there are so many good books. Um, so the first book that I want to talk about is called My First Jewish Baby Book. Uh, and that's by Julie Mer Merberg and illustrated by Beck Feiner. Uh, and it's published by uh, Downtown Bookworks. And basically, um, it's just an alphabet book uh, about, uh, you know, things re relating to Jewish religion and culture. Um, so, you know, for, for example, like A is for Afikoman, the Afikoman is hidden before the Seder. It's a piece of matzah you hunt for later. So it's a little cute little rhyming book, um, that has all different, uh, little, you know, things. And some of them are, uh, kind of a, which was the one that I was like, that's kind of a stretch. Um, oh, first of all, J is for Jewish, which I feel like is a cop-out. I feel like they could have come up with something else. Um, and, uh, there's, there were a couple in there that I felt like were a stretch, but overall, um, I really liked it. I thought it was cute and I thought that it was good for um, like a good way to both introduce, like I feel like this could be used with a kid who, you know, from a family who practices Judaism or a kid who does not, it might require a little bit of explanation for some things. Um, but I think that that's a fun activity you could do together is to look up what an epicomen is, for example. Um, things like that. Um, what else is I going to say? Oh, it's, uh, I really like that it's racially diverse, um, which is something that I appreciate because unfortunately, um, in a lot of, you know, books in, in general, uh, and, but specifically in a lot of books that I was seeing, there was a lot of white folks. So it was nice to see some racial diversity because Jews can look all different kinds of ways, just like everybody can. Um, and I also, so we have a, like kind of a love hate relationship with rhyming books on this podcast. Um, but this book I think actually did the rhymes really well. And like, it's for, you know, it's a board book, so it's for younger kids. So I think it sort of fits 
the age range that it's it's going for um and overall overall i just really liked it um the only sort of room to grows i had were there was really and this is something um i'm just nitpicky about there was really no ability representation everybody was uh, seemingly able-bodied um and like i said the only uh, sort of downside is I not really a downside, but consideration I would say is that you, if you are not Jewish, you might need to uh, Google a couple of things. But I think that's a fun activity you could do together. Be like, I don't know what that means. Let's look it up. Um, but for the most most of the things, it sort of explains what they are um, because it's for babies. <laughs> um, and uh, the only other thing I had to say was I actually <laughs> I have a. Uh, one of my friends who happens to be Jewish was over and I was like, Oh, I have to show you this cute book I found. And I was reading it to them. Like I do to my, my poor friends who I just read children's books to all the time. Um, and, uh, they in particular, um, you know, had mixed feelings about I being for Israel. Um, and so that would just be, you know, something to take into consideration and to know, uh, before getting this book, if that's, um, something that, uh, you know, you're not, uh, on board with um but they they in particular were just like oh i don't know how i feel about that because of my personal beliefs um so but overall i thought it was a good book um i think it's a good sort of uh book for young kids um and it was just like it was a fun read because it rhymes and i, I don't know i like rhymes <laughs> um my next book is uh queen of the hanukkah dosas and that's by pamela ehrenberg and illustrated by anjan sakar um so basically it's you know it's this cute little story about a biracial kid who's indian and jewish and they're preparing to celebrate hanukkah with their family um but his little sister who's probably about two is just like loves to climb on everything um and so he's afraid that his sister is going to kind of ruin their making dosas uh, for Hanukkah because that's the tradition in their family. And um, they, he's afraid that the, the little sister is going to kind of ruin the dosa making because she keeps climbing on everything. And, and throughout the story, he, um, he, you know, he's talking about going to Hebrew school and um, he, is, he was saying that, you know, they learned, they were learning the dreidel song at school. And so he sort of t makes a spin on the dreidel song, but about making dosas. And this song is sort of like coerces her to get down from things when she climbs onto things. It like works as like a cue for her to get off of things. Um, and so basically in the end, her her climbing on things ends up sort of, I won't spoil it, but it sort of ends up saving the day. Um, and so it's just a cute little book. I really enjoyed um, that it was like, it was a story about Hanukkah that wasn't like, what is Hanukkah? Not that there's like, you know, those stories are appropriate for sometimes, but I appreciated that like Hanukkah was kind of the backdrop for the story. Um, so we were still seeing elements of, you know, the celebration and how it was celebrated in that family without it being like, what is Hanukkah? Um, which, which was, you know, a little, you know, I appreciated the like narrative nature of the story. Um, and I also liked the idea of, you know, the spin on what Hanukkah could look like for different kinds of families, you know, um, because, you know, like any holiday, like everyone has their own traditions and not everyone celebrates the same way. Um, so I, I appreciated that. Um, the only, it's funny, I was my, again, my poor wife, who is my, uh, uh, the person who I just read all these books to, because I'm all excited about them, um, didn't, the one thing that she was like, that's weird, is that the, like, the parents were sitting there like, come on, Sadie, get down. And like not really doing anything about it. And the kids had to come up with all the solutions. <laughs> um, so that we were a little bit like, maybe, maybe it's not, you know, 
that's not the narrative you should take away from from that story. Um, and, you know, again, like I said, with the other book, there might be a couple of uh, words or things that if you're not Jewish, you might have to go and research. But again, I don't necessarily think that's a, a bad thing. Um, I think learning is, is great. Knowledge is power, yeah. Um, and then my final book. Uh, oh, I'm a liar. I have two more. Ha ha ha. Um, my next book is called The Last Place You Look. Um, and that's by Jay Wallace Skelton and uh, illustrated by Jason Alves. And that is by one of our favorite publishers, Flamingo Rampant, who does a lot of really great, um, they're, I mean, they're great about diversity in general, but specifically they focus on queer uh, diversity um, and just all of their all of their books uh, are very racially diverse. They have a lot of um, uh, ability diversity. So they're just, they're just really great. I would definitely check them out. Um, so basically it's a story that takes place on Passover um, and the kids are all uh, searching for the afikoman, which I mentioned before, which is basically a pizza matzah that gets hidden and the kids all get to get to look for it. Um, and uh, basically you know, the narrative is basically it's hidden and they find it, they look in a bunch of places and they find it in a silly place. So it's not necessarily for me, like the store, the narrative, that's like the best part of this book. But um, I would, my way to go for this book are sort of the, the diversity in, in this book. There's a lot of, like I was saying, there's a lot of racial diversity, a lot of ability diversity. There's someone uh, with a, uh, like a service dog. There's um, a lot, like a diversity of people wearing kippahs. Um, which I appreciate. It's not just like quote unquote traditionally masculine looking people. Um, they, the family, like they're over their two bubbies house. They have two grandmas. Um, and again, I was reading this to another friend of mine who happens to be Jewish and um, they, uh, they pointed out that they appreciated that at the end of the last page of the book says next year in freedom instead of next year in Jerusalem. Um, and they, they just particularly appreciated appreciated that um so like i said before my sort of room to grow is art that i don't think this the story is like all that um you know super exciting uh but i think that the it's sort of worth it for the um like it's a fun story but it's not like it didn't blow my mind or anything um but it uh i think it's sort of worth it for the representation and then my last book and then i, I promise i'll stop um <laughs> is uh called uh, Yaffa and Fatima Shalom Salam. Um, and that is by, so it's uh, actually a, it was adapted by um, Fawaiza Jelani Williams. And so basically I'm just gonna read the author's note here because it's easier to explain that this than me just talking. So the story was inspired by a tale that is said to have both Jewish and Arab origins. Um, so Florence, uh, so basically there's a couple of different, um, stories, the, tra the traditional story is called the two brothers. Um, and although there are traditional tales about two brothers, my version is about two neighbors, uh, incorporating the message of appreciating people for who they are. So basically it was adapted from a tale, uh, sort of folklore tale. Um, and then <clears throat> it was illustrated by Kiara Fidel and that one was published by, uh, that one was published by Carven, which is a division of Lerner. Um, and so it's this really cute story about these two neighbors. One, one is Jewish and one is Muslim. Uh, and they're, they're both friends and they work selling dates uh, from their respective date groves. And then one year there's like not a lot of rain. And so there's not a lot of dates. And they both decide, like they both individually decide sort of secretly to go and give the other person all the dates they have. Um, 
And so the next day, you know, they wake up and they're like, oh, look at all these dates. I have more dates to give my friend. And they go sort of again to secretly give each other their dates. And then they run into each other and they're like, oh, you're so nice. And they, you know, share a little meal of dates together. Um, what I really liked about this, my way to go is are they in the beginning, you know, they just talk about how they're friends and they, you know, explain a little bit of how, you know, they work on date groves and whatever, but they have a couple of pages where they show sort of the similarities between the two religions. So, you know, one, it's like Yafa prayed in the synagogue and Fatima prayed in the mosque. They both love God and both love to follow God's way. Yafa would read her, from her Siddhar in the morning. Fatima would read from her Quran in the morning. Yafa fasted on Yom Kippur. Fatima fasted during Ramadan. So it sort of showed the um, the sort of differences but similarities between the two religions, which I thought was really sweet. And then I just, you know, I just thought in general it was a nice story about generosity and friendship. As opposed to the other ones, this one could be read with really no background. It, it kind of explains everything uh, for the most part. So the only, really the only thing I could find for A Room to Grow was that because of the way it's illustrated, it's sort of illustrated in like neutral sapia tones and then like... Uh, um, one of their Yafa's clothes are all blue and Fatima's clothes are all red and like the things representing like there are certain accents of the things representing each of them being those colors but because of the way it's illustrated in this sort of sapia way for their uh, um, for their like skin and hair and things like that they both sort of read as white um, which you know I thought was kind of interesting based on where you know where the book is supposed to take place and things like that um and i don't know that that was intentional um but just from the illustrations that's sort of how it reads so that's sort of my only uh way to go or room to grow rather um and then my so those are all of my all of my picks and then i just had like a quick a quick shout out um which is there's this really cute board book called hats of faith um that's all about different uh, hats and head coverings worn by different faiths and they feature a couple of um, different head coverings worn by Jewish folks so that's just a cute little board book um, that I would definitely check out as well and that is by uh, Medina Cohen and illustrated by Sarah Walsh so that's just my my little shout out for that one um, like I said there were so many I had trouble narrowing it down because there were so many great books <laughs> um, but anyway uh, Rebecca do you want to share share yours um yeah, sure. But first, I yeah. when you when you talked about um, Yafa and Fatima, Shalom, Salam, um, that reminds me of I think another um, another kind of version or retelling of that story um, mm. that we have in our library. It's called The Brothers Promise, and it's oh. by Francis Harbor and illustrated by Thor Wick- Wickstrom, and published by Albert Whitman and Company. And it's um, it's about two brothers rather than about um, to two women from from kind of um, different backgrounds, but it's a similar story where they where they both are concerned about the other, and they both mm-hmm. um, they both sneak and provide the other person <laughs> kind of with a, a bounty every day until finally one night they actually run into each other and are like, oh my gosh, like it's it's you, and and then um, they embrace and it begins to rain and then then you know, the idea being that then more, more crops will be, will be able Aww. to grow. Um, yeah. And it says that um, I'm just looking right at the, at the, the handout or the, the fact sheet for it. And it says that 
Um, this book is based on an ancient Mideast folktale. There is some controversy regarding the origins of the story. Some claim the tale is from a Talmudic legend, while others say it is an ancient Arabic legend. Um, so yeah, that's cool that um, m- multiple interpretations of kind of that same story of generosity yeah. and also kind of like difference in the relationship between people. So fun. Yeah, I I'm really excited like to that. Look- yeah, I'm excited to find that um, the story to look more deeply at the stories that you shared. <sighs> um, and so, the two books that I wanted to sh- talk about today, um, both of which I really enjoy, um, are New Year at the Pier and The Keeping Quilt. And I will start with New Year at the Pier. And um, it's, it's uh, New Year at the Pier, a Rosh Hashanah story. And it is written by April Halprin Wayland. And it's illustrated by um, Stefan um, Jorish. And it was published by Dial Books for Young Readers in 2009. And it also has been, um, it also has been published through the PJ Library, um, mm-hmm. which is a collection of Jewish bedtime stories and songs, which I believe that Heidi could probably tell us more about. Um, Heidi, sure. Yeah, would you want to talk for a minute about PJ Library? Sure. Well, PJ Library is uh, an organization that sends free Jewish children's books to families raising Jewish children. Mm-hmm. And uh, they it's a once a month like a subscription like book of the month kind of club um once in a while they'll send some music or a a parenting book but for the most part they're sending children's books and it's geared to the age of the children they do books for babies through age eight and then they have a separate program called pj our way for the children eight to twelve where they get a little bit more agency to get to pick one out of four choices of chapter books Um, because with those kids with the older kids they don't necessarily want to be told what to read Um, yeah so it's it's a nice program it provides um, some uh, connection to Judaism for families who maybe don't have much other uh, connection to the Jewish community or for families who are very involved any any family is welcome to participate in it and that is actually why it was founded was to create that opportunity for connection for families who were not feeling it and felt maybe intimidated to just show up at synagogue or something. So this is a an easy way to just sort of learn something and and feel um, that you're part of that heritage. That's yeah, really the, cool. the family, um, my most recent family uh, that I used to, the last family that I nanny for, I don't know why that was so hard to say, the last family that I nanny for um, uh, was, happened to be Jewish and they subscribed to PJ Library and they, uh, I mean, the kids that I was nannying were two, so they were getting books for that age range, but they were always really, really good and fun and easy enough that like I could read them <laughs> from someone who doesn't, you know, know all of the lingo and all of the pronunciations, like they weren't too hard. Again, they were for two-year-olds, so that probably had something to do with it, but um, I, I really enjoyed them yeah and they also provide reading guides like within the books they put some questions to think about or maybe a connected art project or other things like that right yeah yeah, Yeah. i remember i think for one of the holidays there was like it was like um you know you could like take baby moses and put him down the river there was like a little activity (laughs) 
That's cute. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, so this iteration, so we included new year at the pier. We included the hard, the hard copy, the hardcover, um, in our shipped book box last year, um, in our theme, um, valuing Jewish families and traditions. But what I have in my hand right now is the PJ library version. And it has, um, using this book at home, um, in kind of on the back flap and about the PJ library, and then some um, definitions of, um, Toshlich and uh, Shofar in the beginning. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of great informative uh, content along with a fantastic story. Um, and so now I'll dive in to my discussion of New Year at the Pier, a Rosh Hashanah story. And um, it is the story of a child named Izzy who um, whose family is um, participating in the ritual of Toshlich and um, so there's kind of a, an accessible explainer. Um, every on the first page, it says Izzy loves this changing time of year. Someday sunglasses, someday sweaters, apples, honey, the sound of the shofar, and his favorite part of Rosh Hashanah, Toshlik. Everyone makes I'm sorry lists before Toshlik. Mom is on the patio table writing fast. Miriam is on the grass thinking. Um, and so Izzy is writing down kind of the three things that he's sorry for that he wants to cast off um, as part of the ritual of Toshlik. Um, and so it's the, 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 the narrative follows his kind of grappling with, you know, the nervousness and the discomfort around saying, I'm sorry. And also in doing that also weaves in just more about, about the ritual um, and about that day in their community. Um, and uh, Stefan Gorset Gorishts, um, that's hard to say, <laughs> Stefan Jorishts, <laughs> I still can't say it, third tries a charm, um, Stefan Jorishts art. Um, it's very airy and breezy. They are, um, you know, on a pier and live in kind of a waterfront community. Um, so big Adirondack chairs and lots of like, like, energized lines and blues and greens kind of in this this beautiful airy way so the art is really lovely um and the story it's just a real it's a great kind of explainer but woven into uh, a standalone narrative like a like a story that that any family could read um kind of at any time of year and so my way to goes, I think I've just sort of expanded upon them, um, just that it is a really accessible story. It's, it's a story I really like that it, um, I like that it grapples with apologizing. I think that that's something that's really critically important right now. Mm. Like kind of, we all need, can stand to learn a little bit more about how to make an authentic apology and how to, how to kind of um, shed the discomfort around apologizing, um, both for big things, but also for things like microaggressions and how not to get, you know, kind yeah. of offended and defensive when someone points out a microaggression or a big oopsie, right? Um, so I like that this book talks about that and also kind of talks about the the value in being able to to say I'm sorry and kind of move on, move on in the friendship, move on in the relationship and how that can strengthen strengthen those relationships and also um, strength, strengthen kind of your your sense of self and readiness to move forward, um, in this case, kind of into the new year. Um, my, my room to grow for this book is that there's very little incidental representation. Mm. Um, 
there's some <laughs> some body diversity in kind of the big group scenes, but even then, um, this artist's style for human figures is sort of like slender and like mm -hmm. almost hyper elongated, which falls kind of within standard beauty tropes and norms. Um, someone sort of reads as maybe they are Asian, but there's that that's my my main criticism of the book is that it would have been easy to include much more incidental representation mm -hmm. into the story. Also just to um uh to uh, make it clear to folks that there's not one way to be a Jewish person, right? Like Jewish people come from all sorts of backgrounds and, and races and ethnicities. Um, so I think that would be my my main criticism of the story. I would love to see it um, include more diversity in the illustrations, as lovely as those illustrations are. Um, can I just can I just make a comment about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have the book in front of me, um, but uh, if I recall, the either the rabbi or the cantor. I think the cantor is a woman. Can you check the pictures and tell me if that's right? Um, yes. So I would point out that that is at least a little bit of diversity in terms of um, not uncommon now, but you know traditionally those are male roles, the rabbi and the cantor. So showing a woman in one of those jobs at least is a kind of diversity in terms of gender roles. Oh, thank, thank you for pointing that out. That is definitely, I, I, and this is why we need to have guests like you on our podcast. Because <laughs> I, I appreciate you pointing that out because that is very, that's very true. And I did on that picture, I did notice that um, this person who does sort of present as female uh, is wearing like kind of a, like a, a celebratory almost like like I wouldn't say costumey but like kind of a more dramatic outfit and I kind of noticed like oh like this that person looks like a lot of fun um but it I, that that component of it didn't occur to me that oh it's actually like this is a gr great representation that this is the person who's in that role so I appreciate you calling our attention to that sure mm -hmm. uh, thank you yeah and so Yes, I thought that this this is the first story that I had encountered about Tashlik. It was not a ritual that I was familiar with, but it was one that I was like, wow, that's that's fantastic. Um, and while not everyone has access to big Adirondack chairs and bodies of water, um, I did a lot of reading that said that, that Tashlik can be performed um, with a bucket in your backyard or in your kitchen. And so there's lots of different ways to kind of do this casting away um, of apologizing uh, and uh, traditionally, it's tossing tossing bread, right, and or stones into the water to represent the the different things for which you're you're sorry, and then also addressing those things with the folks that have been harmed, and then moving forward. Um, and so I thought this was a, a neat a neat way to introduce this this ritual into the you know into the lives of more children. Mm -hmm. And Heidi, do you have anything else? Um, do you have any insights onto this story or other stories about Toshlik that, that folks might want to get their hands on? Um, well, I do love that book. It's a really beautiful book. It's well told and, and beautifully illustrated, um, despite the lack of body diversity and so on. It, uh, but they are very pretty pictures and they fit the tone of the book, that it's sort of a lightening. In fact, the text even talks about that, that you feel lighter after you've apologized. And I think the illustrations kind of reinforce that. Absolutely. Um, I would 
I was going to save this to mention later, but I'll say that um, I did interview April about that book when it came out uh, on my podcast on the Book of Life. And I also interviewed the author of, <clears throat> excuse me, of Yaffa and Fatima. Um, so, yeah. So if you'd like to hear a little bit more about the background of those books, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I actually, so when I, I, th- I also reached out to April when, when we put this book in our box and she, it was funny because I, I, I think that she, we sort of sourced it in an unconventional way. And while it is part of the PJ library, I'm not sure how accessible it is as a, as a hardcover any longer. So her first question was, where did you find it? <laughs> so we had managed to kind of get our hands on the last <laughs> kind of stack of hardcovers out there, which we were really excited to do. Um, but it does mean that I've had to re- rethink that box for this for this year because we weren't able to source it again. But I'm glad that it's still out here in, in the paperback version. Uh, yeah, that's too bad. Books go in and out of print so quickly, and it is too bad because it's a lovely book. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right. So shall I move on to my second title? Yes, please do. Okay. Um, my second title is The Keeping Quilt, and it's by Patricia Polacco. And it was published originally in 1988 by Simon & Schuster Books for Young Readers. Um, and it um, there is a an anniversary edition that came out on its 25th anniversary that ex- actually expands the story even further, which is kind of neat. So there was a kind of revised, um, a revised version of the story that came out. Um, and so this, let me pull up my notes. So, and I have in my hands a copy that I, a signed copy by the author that I think is a mm. first edition that I managed to to score at a used bookstore. Um, but we also had a copy of this in my household growing up and, and we include it in our, in our, in our book box. Um, and I'm saying that as I'm not actually pulling up my notes. Um, okay. So this, in this story, the narrator who is Patricia Polacco, this is a kind of, a, this is an autobiographical story of, of her, the history of her family, um, recounts the role that a quilt has played in um, in four generations of her family in the original story, and I think six generations of her family in the revised, um, in the in the updated twenty fifth anniversary issue of the story, um, from the origins of the cloth, the different the the different dresses and pieces of fabric that um, and pieces of clothing that kind of came together to create this quilt, um, to its use. It's different uses within their family. It's a tablecloth, a picnic blanket, um, part of the wedding chuppah, a baby blanket, mm-hmm. and also a quilt. Um, in this inst- in one instance, we see that, it, that it's being used as a quilt to cover great grandma Anna, um, who was actually the original, the person who emigrated um, to the United States in the story mm-hmm. um, in the last moments of her life. Um, so it's sort of a sort of a solemn remembering story. Um, it's kind of a quieter book. Um, and I love that the the art looks like, like old family photographs. Like you mm. can just imagine that you're sitting with, with Patricia Polacco as she's kind of walking you through her family story, um, showing you these photographs of the different people um, that, that have made a profound impact on, on who she is. Um, and so and what I love about this is that the story also explores 
like kind of punctuating the story are these um, these different weddings in her family as as the folks who use the quilt first as an infant and then as kind of a plaything, then grow up and 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 get married. And so in these weddings, you see the tr- the traditions kind of changing over the course of time and and the people who are attending the weddings kind of changing and diversifying. And then in the 25th anniversary edition of the book, the final wedding is actually the author's daughter and her partner. Mm. So you see um, LGBTQ representation in the final wedding in the story in the in the updated version. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this is just, um, again, it's a quieter book. Like it's not, I remember as a child not feeling like it was very action packed and um kind of, it wasn't necessarily one that I was pulling off the shelf, but it also kind of had this really, it almost felt like, um, like part of my personal canon, like my personal canon of memories is this mm. book is included. Not that I'm adopting the memories of these characters, but like just what is contained in this story and the power of family and the power of memory um, really resonated with me even as a child. Um, and so it's neat. The only thing that is in color in this book is the quilt itself. Um, and mm. the quilt is a real quilt. Um, so it exists. Um, I think I have this in my, the notes that we include in my book box. So let me see if I can pull that up or if I have not pulled it up, but it exists. Um, and the, and um, about it, Patricia Polacco says, when I was little, the quilt was on my bed. I always slept with the yellow horse by my face. Touching this horse now, I can hear my grandmother's voice. She had me name all of these people, and I can name them to this day. I see them through her art, and I never knew them. Um, And then you see in the pictures all of these different uh, fabrics, and you learn a little bit about the the origin of each fabric. Um, And it's just a lovely, lovely story. Um, My... I think I've, I've made clear my way to goes. I think the art is lovely. I think that the, the story is just really powerful. Um, my room to grow. Um, I would say, I think that in, even in the, in when it was originally published in 1988, um, Patricia Polacco did a nice job. Most of the pictures are just of her family, but she started when she, when she shows the diversification of kind of what's happening at the wedding ceremonies, you see that, like I said, like the composition of the guests start to change. So you see black people in attendance. And then, like I said, in the updated version, you see a much wider range of people in attendance. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a, a, a wedding between two women. Um, so it's nice. it's nice when they update the books and they actually change things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you them, you know, re-release books, and I'm like, why did you even bother? You didn't, (laughs) right? Or with promises of diversity, you know? Right. So I love that she expanded the story, and I don't, Mm -hmm. I unfortunately don't have that version in my hand right now, so I can't speak to exactly who's in the composition of the wedding in the most recent version. But I did appreciate that even in in 1988, she was kind of, um, she was incorporating, um greater diversity in the, in the pictures mm-hmm. than was necessary, not necessary, than was, uh, so I liked that that was something that was on her mind. And yeah, that's my, that's my discussion of the Keeping Quilt. And Patricia Polacco um, lives in Oakland, lives in the Bay Area, 
And oh wow, everybody is uh, just your neighbor. I know, I know. I should just start like a like a neighborhood podcast. Rub it and interview all the amazing people that are in the um, that are in the Bay Area. Um, and so she also, you know, Patricia Polacco has just done so many stories. Um, one of her most popular is Thank You, Mr. Falker, which is about um, having dyslexia. And she is a huge mm. advocate for equity and inclusion and education and combating bullying. So she's like a, Patricia Polacco is a really, a really neat person. Um, and the Keeping Quilt, I should say, was awarded the American Jewish Library Association Sidney Taylor Book Award gold medal. Um, when it was when it was published for the best Jewish children's book of the year. Um, now I'm looking at my now I'm just reading through my discussion guide material. Yeah. Can I can I just jump in there? Yeah. Um, so the Association of Jewish Libraries is an organization that I'm really heavily involved with. I actually am the past president and I also was the chair of the Sydney Taylor Book Award Committee years ago. So I just wanted to say that it's actually an international organization. It's not just American. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a professional organization for librarians who work with Jewish books um, and also other people who might be interested who aren't librarians. So educators, booksellers, authors, just friendly people who love the literature. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really wonderful dynamic organization and I've been with them for more than 20 years and they do great work. So I just wanted to, to give them a shout out. Yeah, yeah thank absolutely. you. Um, and I, I think I probably missed, I believe that, didn't was New Year at the Pier also a winner? Yes, actually, that was also a winner. Yes. Um, so it, yes, so um, it also was the gold medal winner in, when it was published in 2009. Um, and I also was remiss in that I, I failed to mention that Stefan Jorish was um, born in Brussels and was raised and resides in Quebec, Canada. Oh, Canada, Seth. Um, and um, also a author, April Halpern Wayland, was born and raised in California, um, where she and her family split their time between Santa Monica, which I believe is the pier, uh, maybe inspired that it's where she and her family participate in the Tashlik tradition, and also a walnut ranch near Sacramento. So, all right, just throw that in there as well. All right, so I, I think that is that is what I have to share about my two books. Amazing. Thank you so much. Heidi, I'm excited to hear about yours. <laughs> sure. Thanks. And I, I just checked and uh, Yaffa and Fatima actually was an honor book for the Sydney Taylor oh, book award. Medalist. So yeah, some excellent choices that you guys picked. And the Keeping Quilts is such a classic. I have multiple copies in my synagogue library. So yeah. great choices. So, um, all right. So thank you so much for inviting me. I picked out several things that I wanted to share. And the first one is Kibitzers and Fools by Sims Tabak. And um, I, if we were on video, I would show you this doll that I have that is looks very much like the character on the front cover. <laughs> and if you listen to the most recent episode, well, by the time you play this, it won't be the most recent. If you listen to an episode um, from the Book of Life podcast, this is a rare video episode uh, because I was interviewing an artist. And so I wanted to show her work because mm. she created for me this crocheted 3D doll uh, based on the art of Sims Tabak. Oh my God, um, that's amazing. The reason I, I can that art in my head right now. <laughs> now. I'll send you a picture so that you can see this. Yes, um, 
so the logo for the Book of Life podcast is actually a piece of art by Sims Tabak. So I'll get to the book in a minute. I just want to tell you the story. So years and years ago in 2006, um, when Kibitzers and Fools was a new book, I interviewed Sims Tabak for my podcast, which was like a new baby podcast at the time. And um, he was fun to talk to, but he rambled a lot. And I was going to have to do a lot of editing, and he realized that it was going to be a lot of work for me. So after I cleaned it all up and, and he heard it, I spoke to him again, and he said, oh, you made me sound good. Thanks. You saved my tuchus. And so I I bravely said, "Would you? you're welcome. Would you make me a picture? And he actually did. So he painted me this wonderful picture of this Yiddishy looking old man, which is, you know, the kind of thing he always painted a lot. And, um, but this man is holding an iPod and reading a, <laughs> a book um, that says Tales from the Shtetl. And so he painted this for me and I was so excited. So that became my logo. Oh my and God. Amazing. I'm looking at it so, right now and it's fantastic. It's so much fun. And so then just this year, um, a friend wanted to get me a present, my friend Susan Cousel, who's also very, very involved with Jewish Kidlet and is in fact a new author. She's debuting with a Passover book called The Passover Guest um, this coming spring. So she wanted to give me a present and she um, hired her friend Patricia Portillo, who's an artist, to create this amazing crocheted doll for me. Uh, and he looks just like the character in the logo and very much like the cover of Kibitzers and Fools because that was the kind of character that Sims Tabak liked to create. And um, so Sims Tabak wrote many, many books and illustrated many, many books. And a lot of them are Jewish, not all of them. Some of them are just funny animals or whatever, but, or the old lady who swallowed a fly is a very famous one that he did. Mm -hmm. um, and he got the, I believe he got the Caldecott for, um, Joseph had a little overcoat, which is one of his Yiddish inspired ones. Mm -hmm. um, but so Kibitzers and Fools is sort of an oddball book. And the reason I like it so much is that for me personally, it kind of speaks to my childhood because my grandpa uh, was from the old country. He had a Yiddish accent. He was from a shtetl in Russia and mm -hmm. he, or in the Ukraine. And he would say that story about, you know, that you would wake up one day, you were in Poland, the next day you were in Russia in the same exact house because the borders would move around all the time. Um, so he was like that fiddler on the roof kind of connection for me. And this book is very much like that. And this book does a good job of conveying that Yiddishkeit sense of humor that is actually really difficult, I think, to convey to modern children. Um, mm. So it's kind of, you know, you, if you don't hear the accent, then it's sort of half that humor is, is the accent, I guess. Um, but this book does a, a pretty good job of, of conveying that in a way that most books do not. And it's a book that is just a lot of very short stories or jokes. And most of these are jokes that I've heard before in other places, you know, classic Jewish jokes that are on the record albums I listened to as a child. Like, um, the Myron Cohen album "Everybody Gotta Be Someplace" was the name of one of the is the name <laughs> of the album, and then there's this um, uh, full cast album called "You Don't Have to Be Jewish," and they're just like funny jokes. And so this has some of those jokes retold as short stories, mm -hmm. um, 
And it's it's hard because like I'm not sure. I, I didn't have the opportunity to read this book as a child because it wasn't available back then. But I wonder how much how much the flavor of it gets across. But I feel like it it it's doing better than any other book that I've seen. And I just wanted to share this one story. It's just like a paragraph and it's a classic joke. They call it the restaurant in this book. Can I read it to you? Yes, please. please. Okay, it goes like this. Waiter, come, called the customer. So I'm here, said the waiter. Taste this soup, said the customer. 25 years we have been making chicken soup, answered the waiter. Nobody has ever complained. Taste the soup, interrupted the customer. Why, what's the matter? Taste the soup. All right, all right, I'll taste it. Where's the spoon? Aha, cried the customer. <laughs> that's the whole joke and i've heard definitely myron cohen had a funny version of that and then what's also funny is that it's such a classic joke it was on sesame street when grover was the waiter you know and the blue guy was the yes that's so funny i'll send you the link to it on youtube so oh, yes, please. what's funny is that they actually kind of changed the punchline because I think this punchline was maybe too subtle, they thought, for children. So they added a little bit more to the joke on Sesame Street, um, like extended it. But I just think that this is a, a really classic story that um, if, if you're ever going to explain Yiddish humor to modern children, this is this is the way to go. So speaking of way to go, um, so it's very unique, um, and it really showcases that kind of Yiddish, old country way of life, customs and practices, uh, in a in a very vivid, lively way. It's not feeling dry and historical. Um, Jewish humor often plays with language or pokes fun at those who have power or ponders big questions. And that all comes through in mm. this book. Um, and the illustrations are just amazing. You know, this gorgeous, deep, rich colors, collage illustrations. Um, so, and, and that they are also very humorous illustrations. And he always would put little um, hidden things that were related to family history or, or um, sort of subtle jokes from it, it, like what he clipped out of a newspaper and stuck into the pictures was commentary. Um, now, Room to Grow, the biggest thing in terms of Room to Grow is that this book, it's like Smurf World. It's almost entirely male. <laughs> <laughs> all, of the, all of the stories have male protagonists. Um, there's like one wife who has a line. Mm. And then there's the, the last story is about the whole village of Helm. So it's everybody. But basically, it's a male story. And in fact, the subtitle, Kibitzers and Fools, Tales My Zeta Told Me. So it's um, stories from his grandfather that Sims is now sharing with us. So it's the grandfather and the grandson and all of the men in these stories. So it's a very male book. Mm. Um not in a toxic masculine way, in a bad way, just, you know, in terms of representation, it's yeah. very, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then my other room to grow is just that it, it can be a little bit hard to understand the humor um, 
you know, without hearing that accent out loud. And there's a glossary and there's a lot of Yiddish terminology in here and they do their best to explain it. But I think that, um, you know, if this book was read out loud by somebody who could do the accent, that would be the ideal way to experience mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, oh, do you want me to go back and tell about the publishing information? Because I noticed you guys were doing that. Oh, so yeah. you can if you have it. I don't know if I'm. I well, I have the book here. So oh, Kibitzers and Fools. Kibitzers and Fools was published by Viking, which is um, part of Penguin, and it was in 2005. So that's my first one. So that's a, a very old school kind of Jewish story. So to talk about something more contemporary, I wanted to talk about Sam and Charlie and Sam Two. It's by Leslie Kimmelman, and the pictures are by Stefano Tambellini. The copy I have in front of me is from PJ Library, but it's actually published by Albert Whitman. And this one was in 2013. Uh, and it's the first in a series. There are three in the series. So Sam and Charlie and Sam Two is a short chapter book. And the first way to go is the fact that it's a short chapter book, because there are very, very few short, easy chapter books for, with Jewish content. Mm. So just its existence is a plus. <laughs> so Sam is a boy who a sort of typical North American suburban white kid who happens to be Jewish. And Charlie moves in next door and he hears in the first chapter, he hears the parents of the, the new household calling, Charlie, time for lunch, Charlie, come inside. So he thinks, oh, boy, my age has moved in. So he goes and knocks on the door and asks for Charlie. And it's a girl named after her great grandma, Charlene. And so one of the things I like about the book, A Way to Go, is that it gently diverges from gender expectations. Mm -hmm. So the, he had come over to say, do you want to play baseball? So they play baseball. No biggie. It's fine. So um, with the names, with the expectations, the fact that he's fine being friend with a girl, it's no big deal. Um, and then also that Sam too is Charlie's little sister, who is named after great grandma Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I just like that uh, when, when Charlie is introduced, he says, what? Charlie is a boy's name, isn't it? And she explains how she was named after great grandma Charlene. And then the little sister comes up and um, the boy says, hi, I'm Sam. She says, no way, that's a girl's name. <laughs> so, you know, it, it sort of twists the expectations. Right. I love that. Um, another wonderful thing about this book is that it really normalizes the Judaism. So both families just happen to be Jewish. And it's, it's not about that. That's just part of their life. Mm -hmm. the, in this book and in the subsequent entries in this series, the chapters kind of go back and forth between something that is explicitly Jewish, like related to a holiday, and then something that is not obviously Jewish. But what's wonderful is that if you know the culture, you'll recognize, for lack of a better term, Easter eggs mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in the story. <laughs> So, for instance, the first chapter is just about making friends with the new neighbor, but there is this subtle Jewish content in the fact that the kids are named after their great-grandmothers, because mm. in Ashkenazi Jewish tradition, you don't name a child after a living relative. You name them after somebody who passed away already. So that's a, a tiny little authentic Jewish detail, but if you don't know it, whatever, you don't know it. 
but so it's it's nice because for people who recognize that it's a mirror and for people who don't it doesn't matter right mm -hmm. can i ask one clarifying question about that sure um so my understanding is that you name that that and may, maybe this is a different variation on the tradition but you name a child using the same initial rather than the same name is that something that is that i'm yes inventing? no you're right no you're right you're right it's so often it's, not it's, the same exact name it's often um a variation on it that reminds you of the name in this case i don't know if it was um because that's how leslie kimmelman's family does it or if she was just trying to oversimplify it or or why but in this case it sounds like they're named the actual name of great grandmothers mm, got um, it. But, you're, got but you're right that it often is just something that reminds you of that name rather than the same exact name right so good point yeah um and then uh from there the next chapter is about hamantaschen which is a jewish um, baked good that is made traditionally for the holiday of purim so that one is explicitly jewish and it goes back and forth that way between things that are um that are explicitly jewish and then things where there just happens to be a hint of judaism or a way you could tie it in um so let's see Oh, and another thing that's a way to go about this book is that it just has really nice role modeling of friendship. Um, that friendship includes compromising sometimes or, um, you know, doing something to help your friend feel better. The last chapter is called I'm Sorry Day, and it's about Yom Kippur, which is, as you were talking about with um, New Year at the Pier, it's the day when you apologize for anything that you've done to hurt somebody mm -hmm. else and in the story charlie is kind of schooling sam on how to do a better apology mm -hmm. um so it's it's nice because it's doing that role modeling for the reader about where he says i'm sorry if i hurt your feelings when i laughed at your new haircut she says if you hurt my feelings that's not very sorry when mm -hmm. i hurt your feelings said sam mm -hmm. so yeah just a, a very gentle little lesson right there so um I There's really, that. yeah. So it's really a, a well done book, a well done series. There are three, and really, my room to grow is basically that there should be more of them, um, <laughs> because it's really great. Uh, I guess the the one thing I would say is that I would like to see. This is not really something that I'm saying that they should have done this differently. It's more that somebody should add to the availability of mm. short. Jewish content chapter books, and then there should be some more that have non-white Jewish children or Sephardic Jewish children, or because these are both um, white kids who seem, as far as I can tell, to be Ashkenazi, which means Jews with a European origin as opposed to like a Hispanic or Arabic country origin. Mm -hmm. um, and so it would be nice to have more diversity diverse representation, but there's nothing wrong with this book. And I'm not going to say, oh, well, they should have made one of the kids black and Jewish, but I mean, it's fine. Um, you know, it's authentic, but it would be great to also have those as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, have you had the opportunity to interview Leslie Kimmelman? Not no, about this if, book. If she's making more? Well, I interviewed her a while back about a different book about Everybody Says Shalom. Um, but uh I haven't interviewed her about this one, but I know her and I should ask her. I, I hope that she will be doing more. 
I would yeah. certainly encourage it. Yeah, just gently, gently nudge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I guess the only other thing that is um, not a huge deal, but there is a part where somebody says, hey, guys, and I say, hey, guys, I, you know, I'm from Philadelphia, and that's what we say when we're trying to address plural you. But I know that in more recent times, people have called that out as a gendered mm. um, expression, although we tend to use it to mean everyone. Right. So I'll just point out that that's in there. I'm from New York, so I do the same thing, and I'm like a gender warrior, <laughs> and I still forget. And I'm right, like, I know. I, 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 I've switched to y'all. I, I try to use y'all. Yeah, but, I, but it's oh, hard to remember when I know. it's something you've been saying totally. forever. So totally. Yeah. I think I catch it more in my writing. Like I'll catch it and rewrite. I'll you know I'll go back, delete, 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 and write folks. But when I'm saying yeah. it, I think guys just comes out constantly. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I wanted to turn to a nonfiction title, um, which is also part of a series. And this is Celebrate Passover with Matza Maror and Memories by Deborah Heiligman. And she had uh, a whole series of holiday books, not just Jewish. She did this for National Geographic. And so she did this series that includes, I'm looking at it right here, Christmas, Diwali, Easter, Halloween, Hanukkah, Independence Day, Passover, Ramadan and Idol Fitter, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and Thanksgiving. So three Jewish titles within that, and um, they're all very good. Um, They do a good job of trying to kind of boil down the holiday into here are the basic facts without making it too confusing. I guess that's sort of a way to go and a room to grow because it's really hard to do that actually. <laughs> so they're they're informative nonfiction, but they can be a bit confusing here and there in their attempts to simplify. Um, for example, in this volume, um, the part about the search for the chametz, which means before Passover, you know, during Passover you can't eat leavened bread. The matzah represents that. In the Exodus, when the Jews were slaves in Egypt and they had to get out in a hurry, they didn't have time for their bread to rise. So they just grabbed the dough and ran. And then the dough grew up to be flat crackers <laughs> because it didn't have time to rise. And that's why we eat matzah to remember that. So there's a tradition of um, clearing your house of leavened things. So bread and cookies and, you know, whatever. Um, and there's a, a practice where you actually leave some crumbs on purpose so you can go and find them in this ritual way. And the page that explains that I thought was kind of confusing. And I'm sure there's other examples, but it's just because there's so much to pack in. So it's not exactly, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm not, it's not a big criticism. Um, But it's very informative. It's, and because it's the series is published by National Geographic, it's got these gorgeous photographs. Um, Very, diverse photographs, normalizing of Jews of color, Jews from other countries, um, inclusive of different streams of Judaism and of varying practices. So there are Orthodox people within the pictures who dress in a very particular way. And then there are other people who who don't dress that way, who are obviously from other streams of Judaism. The, the language is inclusive in saying, some of us do this and some of us do this other thing. Um, and then there's this extensive back matter with basic facts. It uh, talks about the four questions that are asked at the Passover Seder. 
It talks about the 10 plagues that are part of the Exodus story, the Seder plate that holds all of the um, mm -hmm. symbolic foods. It's got a recipe for matzah toffee. Sounds delicious. Um, a glossary, a list of further resources, a map of where all the pictures came from, and an essay, essay by a female rabbi. So there's uh, extensive materials backing up the, the narrative. Um, in terms of the room to grow, maybe it's not a good idea to include websites in the back matter of a printed book because eventually they <laughs> might be, one, gone. <laughs> um, too outdated, <laughs> you know, and then the, so like the first one is that the URL is not correct anymore. The second uh, one, when you go to that website, it just looks dated and amateurish at this point. And then the third one, um, it's okay, but maybe a little bit confusing. The third, um, website they list is ritual well, which is sort of a collection of ideas for contemporary rituals that you can add to your practice. But if this is something that you don't already know about, then having a twist or a variation can, maybe is not where you want to start. So mm. that's a little confusing. Um, and then my other critique of it was that the locations could have been more diverse because I, when I counted it up from the pictures, because for every picture it tells you where they are, um, eight of them are in the U.S., four mm. are in Israel, and then there's one each for Yemen, Canada, Uganda, Morocco, Hungary, and China. So it's very dominated by pictures from the USA. Um, so it could have been a better balance. But still, it is, you know, as these books go, it is a very diverse book. Another similar book um, or series, there's one for Hanukkah and one for Passover by Tammy Lehman Wilsig, Passover Around the World and Hanukkah Around the World, which don't have those kind of, um, it's not, they're not illustrated with photos, but they are consciously setting out to look at different practices that are done in different countries for those holidays. So that would kind of be a good companion. Hmm. Um, I don't think I gave you the, the publishing information because I don't have the book in front of me. It is oh, okay. obviously from National Geographic, but I don't know what year. Uh, that's okay. the least of our worries. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, and then I wanted to, so now all of the books that I've talked about so far are by uh, white Jewish people who I think are probably all Ashkenazim. And I did want to bring to the table um, an own voices book by a Jew of color. So I wanted to mention Ezra's Big Shabbat Question by Aviva L. Brown, illustrated mm -hmm. by Anastasia, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, Kanavaliuk. Kanavaliuk? Anastasia Kanavaliuk. And um, this is actually a self-published book, and I interviewed Aviva, and that has not yet been published. I'm expecting to put it out in 2021, probably February. Um, she calls it Springlight Publishing, but it's it's her own publishing company. Uh, and she told me that this was not because she tried to get it published traditionally and got rejected. She told me that this is because she is OCD and couldn't stand to let anybody else touch her book. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, uh, Aviva, Aviva was actually one of the people on our last episode. <laughs> oh, terrific. Okay. Yeah, so wonderful. <laughs> yes. Okay. So this is, this is a lovely story that's very much based on her own family. And uh, so Ezra is based on one of her children and his big Shabbat question is because he just is a curious child who asks a lot of questions. Now, the question that he asks in the book is a little funny. He asks whether it is okay to tie a knot on Shabbat. And 
basically she told me that was because it rhymes is why she picked that as the question not because that question is like the question that everyone must figure out um as as the story explains towards the beginning there's certain things that you're you're not supposed to do work on shabbat so what counts as work is the question mm -hmm. uh, and so this is the example of that question and he just goes through asking everyone and trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. But really, the, the, that's not the point of this book. I wouldn't recommend this book if it was just about tying knots on Shabbat. The reason this book is special is because it normalizes Jews of color. Um, mm. You know, it never talks about, look, we're black Jews. You know, it's not about that. They just happen to be and they're going around doing whatever they do and cooking Shabbat dinner and going to services. Um, it also educates about Jewish diversity of practice, as well as Jewish diversity of appearance or ethnic background. Because at the end of the story, he's talking to the rabbi and asking the rabbi, what am I supposed to do? Am I allowed to tie a knot? And the rabbi tells him, Jews live all over the world in every culture. There's diversity in how we look, how we eat, and how we practice Judaism. And that's a wonderful thing, says Rabbi Andy. So the diversity is being explicitly held up. Mm. as as a model I love that. um yeah that's great so i guess my room to grow would be just as i mentioned the thing about tying knots is a very minor <laughs> yeah. part of judaism <laughs> um and so maybe having a whole book focus on that maybe kind of skews how important it sounds um and then maybe some of the language is a little bit formal and teachy for a child narrator because it's told in the first person that you know, this little boy is talking about, can you tie a knot on Shabbat? And then there are some bits that sound maybe, you know, not quite like the way a child would talk. Right. Um, but again, not a big deal. So it, overall, it's it's a lovely book, and I would love to see more representation like that. I know that Aviva has another book coming out based on one of her daughters. So that's great mm -hmm. that we're going to be getting more books like this to be able to add to our shelves. So those are the books that I wanted to to bring to your attention, um, I will mention that Kibitzers and Fools also won, I believe, a silver Sydney Taylor. Let me look yeah. it up. Yes, it was a Sydney, Kibitzers and Fools was a Sydney Taylor honor book in 2006. I did want to also mention, since we're talking about Jewish books for all readers, not just for Jewish readers, we're talking about window books, that through the Association of Jewish Libraries, I was involved in a project called Love Your Neighbor where we created book lists that um, that explicitly are Jewish books that we're recommending for all readers. And mm. this list was born in response to the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh in mm -hmm. 2018. And we just felt like, what can we do? And we, as librarians, um, you know, my friends and I were all talking about our response is to recommend books in response to anything that happens. Right. And we didn't want to just recommend books about anti-Semitism because that's like adding salt to the wound. So instead, we wanted to recommend books that push back against the anti-Semitism and that model getting along and, and understanding each other. So we created this series through the Association of Jewish Libraries to um, to showcase books that we thought would be helpful to other people to read to kind of get to know Jewish people at least on the page and 
you know, understand us and, and not be afraid of us and feel friendly towards us. And so um, every now and then we add a new list. We're up to seven lists at this point. But I did want to recommend that as a good resource. Yeah. And I think, I think that that, I mean, that's part of the reason that I do this podcast period. We talk a lot about, you know, differences, whether it's, you know, race, religion, ability, things like that. And I think that a lot of times, unfortunately, um, you know, hatred and things like that grow from just ignorance and not not knowing. Um, and I think that's why representation is so important. And, you know, exposing kids to all different kinds of things, right? Not just reading books with kids that look like them, but um, with people who look all different kinds of ways and, um, you know, are have different religions and have different races and uh, genders and abilities and all these things that we talk about. I think that um, it's nice to start from just the ground up with kids, you know? Yes. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, they, first of all, this was like the, we had it like, and I don't understand how this is possible that we had a guest on and we did faster than we usually do. So <laughs> somehow it's because Rebecca and I didn't have time to banter, I guess, when we're left to our own devices, we, right. just, we just talk about it. We're on better behavior when we have a guest. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm used to not interrupting very much because I'm usually the, the host and I just want to let the other people just talk and talk and talk. So Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, yeah, these are my these are my episodes where I get to talk a little bit, <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to my hosting episodes. Um, but uh, anyway, thank you so much for being here. Um, I uh, I really appreciate it. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, and we'll we'll include links in the show notes to all of the yes. all of your recommend the, the book lists and oh. um, to the Tree of Life podcast and uh, everything that you've recommended, Heidi. Thank you so much for all oh. of those valuable resources. I also wanted to ask you: Is it okay if I if I share a picture of that the wonderful little crochet doll? Oh, absolutely! <laughs> on your website, yes. Did you find it's it? So good. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and it's. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's and Sims Tabak has such a distinctive um, artistic style, and I think right. that if I saw that doll in anyone's household, I would know immediately <laughs> that it was. Uh, you know that that was kind of the origin of it that's so amazing right and uh, you know it's a one-of-a-kind thing that she made just for me but if you want one you can commission her <laughs> yeah. to make one for you because that's uh, what yeah. she does that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i won't take up more of your time but thank you so much for being here it's been a pleasure well thank you so much it's it's really a pleasure to talk with you i think you do very important work both through your podcast and through the shift book box. Um, and I really want to thank you for including Judaism in your lineup, because that is, um, that is an issue that, that the Jewish kid lit world, that we kind of have this struggle to be included in the diversity conversation. Mm. Um, somehow, I think because many Jews are white, there, there's this sense that we don't need support. Mm. Um, which is kind of funny because there are other intersectional people who who do get support, you know, with open arms. The the queer community, many of these people are also white, but there yeah. doesn't seem to be any hesitancy um, about including that community under the diversity umbrella. But for some reason, there sometimes does seem to be an idea that the Jews are not part of that. Um, so I really appreciate that you reached out to me uh, and and wanted to um, include Jews as part of your diverse lineup. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I really appreciate um, you calling my attention to our attention to the the early reader series that um, Sam and Charlie and Sam too, because we, I have kind of, we don't, we don't do early reader boxes yet, but I do have sort of an informal reading list of how to dive, you know, how to diversify your library. And I will absolutely be including that um, under our early, you know, our, our early chapter book list. So thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. And this is the kind of early reader that is early enough that I would I would classify it with picture books. Like I could definitely read this with a child who was mm-hmm. like, you know, four years old or maybe even three um, that and that they would enjoy it. Right. right. Um, awesome. You might not read it all in one sitting, but they would still <laughs> but it's at a level that where they could understand it and enjoy it. Right. That's great. Yeah. So there's um. I don't know if this fits in just talking about, you know, being included. Just the other day, I was talking with Susan Cousel, the friend I mentioned earlier, and she was telling me about a book, a forthcoming book by Lauren Long, um, or illustrated by Lauren Long, um, written by, who's the one who wrote The Night Before Christmas? Clement Moore? Mm -hmm. The the classic Night Before Christmas. So he's Mm -hmm. got an illustrated version of it coming out. And he decided he wanted to be inclusive. And he, because they are friends, he asked her for advice about including a Hanukkah menorah and some other Jewish elements in his illustrations. Because mm. one of the families in that Santa Claus visits in this book is an interfaith family. And so they have materials from both um, religions in their household when he comes to deliver the presents. And yeah. And so, um, she was very excited and telling me about this the other day because it was just such a beautiful example of that kind of inclusion that just normalizes the presence of Jewish people as part of our society without it having to be all about that or without us having to, um, you know, raise our hand and, and ask for, inclusion somebody just reached out their hand and provided that and it's just it's beautiful so yeah so thank you for doing that yeah absolutely as as someone who's part of a marginalized community as a queer person and a disabled person i feel like a, a lot of times we have to do the work to try and get recognized and try to get you know um get that representation and things so it's i try to be the person to do the work for other communities mm. so that we're not always having to you know do the work for ourselves which is often what happens right, right. exactly and remember stay rad <laughs>